Hey y'all, this is the 8th episode of the Southern Lodge Podcast. Today the guys and I will be discussing Southern Summer River activities, along with a few sports topics. So pull up a chair to the fire, and welcome to the Southern Lodge. Hey y'all, today we're going to talk about Southern activities on the water. And I'm not talking about going out in front to the Gulf or out into the ocean. We're talking about good southern river activities. Um, Me and Aaron, we normally like to get out when it gets hot. You want to get out in that water and stay cool. Maybe a little hydrated with some adult beverages. But that's what we like to do during the summer. And there's a lot of activities you can do out on the river. Uh, A few of those that we like to do, we like to do a little catfishing, a little frog gigging, and just floating in general. But uh, I'm going to let Aaron kind of lead this episode a little bit because he's our resident country river man. So, Aaron, why don't you get us going? All right, will do. How you doing this evening, Mike? I'm doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. You going to ask how I'm doing? How you doing, Aaron? Oh, I'm doing great, Mike. I'm glad you asked. I've got me a glass of Southern Lodge sweet tea. Uh, visualizing myself out on those beautiful pearl white sandbars uh, out there on the beautiful Pascagoula River that flows through South Mississippi here. And just so you know, I'm drinking my Southern Lodge sweet tea out of a Yeti this evening, one of these Yeti ball glasses here, and it's keeping it ice cold. So couldn't be more satisfied. I'm going to take a quick sip and we'll get started here. I think I bought those for your wife during Mardi Gras. This one actually was a Christmas present from my uh, brother. Oh, uh, it was for it was for Tristan, but uh, I I commandeered it. So yeah, we got some awesome uh, river activities, and I'm just itching to get out there and do. And I feel like we're using the word activity a lot, so I'm going to try and get away from that. The first one is uh, catfishing, though, and I think I think the the way I've got this laid out, it's just a good informative talk for anybody that's got this urge or uh, good old country boy itch to get out there and catch them some fresh delicious clean tasting fish meat man so first of all i think we need to talk about what are the main species of catfish that people are going after and uh here in the pascagoula the most common are either blue or channel cats but it seems like a lot of people really try to target those tabby cats also known as flatheads and those things have you ever seen them things them things are beautiful they are good old flatheads. Got this. They got this like camo pattern to them. Some of them have like a real yellow belly on them. Uh, beautiful fish. Beautiful. Do they Less taste common, a little different uh, than the other ones? Do they? Do they got a little different taste? It depends on who you talk to. I I think the old river rats. The the you know those old men. Like if you live on the coast uh, of the ocean or on the Gulf. If you're an old man, they call you, like, salty, you know? Well, on the river, they call you a river rat. And uh, I think them old river rats would probably tell you the bigger the catfish gets, the harder it is to actually prepare it and make a good taste in fish. So, me personally, I like to catch those, like, one-pound channels or smaller. You know, they're big enough to actually fillet, but they're not a huge fillet. Those big old tabby cats, man, you got to clean off a lot of fat, uh, a lot of like stomach meat. Um, sometimes there's there's uh, a 
like a darker colored meat mixed in with it. You got to clean all that stuff out to actually get some good taste of meat. But those flatheads are highly coveted uh, by trot liners and uh, heck, catfish uh, fishermen in general. Um, less common though, Mississippi also has, and, and Alabama I'm sure has this catfish called the yellow bullhead also known as a mud cat, but I've actually never came across a mud cat in all the time I've been fishing. I, I don't believe I've ever seen one of those either, Court. And, uh, you know, you're speaking of all the difficulties with cleaning the bigger catfish. That's why I enjoy going to one of the many catfish houses in the south and just, just eating that fried-up filet that they've already prepared for me. I enjoy catching them. I don't enjoy cleaning them as much. love eating them. So that's where I stand on cleaning catfish. I tell you what, man, when we retire, we need to make a trip around the state. Uh, we can include Alabama if you'd like, but we really need to We need to go try the top ten or so-called top ten. I'm putting air quotes around that top ten in both states to try and figure out which one really is the best. Uh, I checked a top ten list here recently, and our local – catfish house here in george county did not make the cut and they are definitely the best i've ever had well you uh, know supposedly they got good catfish out in oklahoma i've seen them on the uh, travel channel i believe there's a maybe it was that man versus food show he went to someplace in oklahoma and i think the record was 30 35 fillets in one sitting but apparently oklahoma's got good catfish they know how to fry them up well, you know, channel cats and blue cats are pretty resilient creatures. I mean, they, they probably are all over the place. And, heck, flatheads, I'm almost positive they do like that. Uh, you know, one of the methods we'll talk about is noodling or um, oh, grappling, hand grappling. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure Texas and probably Oklahoma have that method as well. Uh, Actually, this, uh, the same topic. I know I keep interrupting you, but... While I was traveling for work, I, it was a probably a Saturday or Sunday. You know how they got on the weekends and they got nothing new to show when it ain't really good sports season. But I want to say it was National Geographic. And this show was from a couple of years ago. But they had the regional championships of noodling. And I... I I don't think I think it was just for the TV show, but they ha- they brought people in from Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Texas, Arkansas, I believe. So I, I had never heard of it until I watched a few. I don't even know when the first time I saw it. Maybe watching Dirty Jobs or something, but I had never heard of noodling. But apparently, it's all over the South. I I tell you what, I'm dying to go actually. I'm not going to go unless I go with someone who knows what they're doing. I'm not going to pay for it either, but I, I would really love to go noodling. While we're on the same topic of species, though, uh, I was talking with a, a friend of mine that's actually up in Missouri, and she was mentioning uh, she has a freezer full of paddlefish. You know, they also go by the name Spoonbill Cat. And I wanted to just quickly address that they are not a species of catfish. Uh, despite their name, their common name being Spoonbill Cat. Uh, we also have them here in Mississippi, but they're actually a, a cartilinogen, cartilinagus, cartilinagus. Scientific they word. They have cartilage in them. <laughs> they have cartilage in them, yeah. But anyway, she said she might bring me down some uh, some 
paddlefish meat, so I hope she does. I'd really some like some that. faux catfish. She's gonna bring you faux catfish. I you know I think it actually does taste like catfish, but uh, and they're 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 they just have skin. They don't have scales like uh, other types of fish. So they're in a lot of ways you would think they might be a catfish, but they're not. Uh, beautiful fish though. They get really big too. I'm, I've caught them while I was working for Mississippi State. We caught them in gill nets easily had two or three over 60 pounds i mean they they Mm. get to be pretty large fish so anybody who might be interested in catching catfish could go about that in a variety of ways you got the classic rod and reel method you've got trot lining you've got limb lining you've got jugging you've got hoop nets you've got hand grabbing you've got slat boxes and then this method is illegal for recreational but you also can catch catfish by electrofishing or telephoning, as the uh, country folk like to say. <laughs> you ever heard of that? Telephoning? And I'd never heard of that one before. That uh, sounds yeah, kind of dangerous to me. Yeah, it actually is dangerous. Uh, but, you know, you, you basically put this electric charge in the water and uh, you shock fish up to the surface. And then you scoop them into the boat before they... Uh, recover and go back they don't die typically if you're using the right uh, amount of current when i worked for mississippi state we also had an electro fishing boat and uh you had to use the right voltage i guess and the uh you know i I don't know what it's called ac or dc but i believe for catfish we always used dc because it was easier to control how much voltage you're putting in the water I wonder how many good old boys shocked the hell out of themselves before they realized they ne- didn't need to do it in metal boats or wear rub- you know, or they should I, wear rubber shoes. I might be stupid here, but is aluminum even a good conductor? Most boats are made of aluminum that people are in the river with. I, I, I think it... Oh, that's a good question. I thought it was. It's got to be better than wood or uh, fiberglass. When we were using it for research purposes, we had rubber gloves and uh, rubber-soled shoes. We actually wore a, sp- a special boot, but they were just rubber boots. You could yeah. wear a variety of rubber rubber type shoes. But anyway, what most people are going to use recreationally, most likely, I think, rod and reels popular, trot lining's popular, and then hand grabbing. Uh, the the less popular methods would be limb lining. Uh, jugging is a lot of people do jug uh, yeah. and then slap boxes but slap boxes is pretty much a commercial method and so is hoop nets I, I which kinda, of those have you actually tried uh, jugging trot lining and rod and reel why, which, but I don't suggest rod and reel of course, uh, or from my experience I don't like rod and reel as much as the other ones because catfish are bottom feeders I tend to snag on everything that's in the river or wherever I'm fishing. So if I go fishing for catfish or any fish on the bottom, it's almost a full guarantee I will lose at least five to six hooks before I'm just done. So I, I would rather do another method than rod and reel for a bottom feeder. If you're going rod and reel fishing, I feel like the purpose of you being on the water is different than the other methods because most of the other methods besides rod and reel are aimed at volume you're trying to catch a large quantity of fish if you're going rod and reel fishing you're really you're probably more interested in the cold drinks in the cooler (laughs) 
any other, uh, maybe some soft music playing in the background, uh, a beautiful sunset, you know, just tying up somewhere on the river, dropping a line to the bottom, and you're really just killing time and releasing some stress. But, you know, it depends on who you talk to as far as what's the, what the prime bait is for rod and reel fishing. I, I've used liz- uh, livers before. I've used live bait. Uh, I've, I've even tried, uh, it's called Zote laundry detergent. It's a big pink bar of soap that you cut up into cubes. Um, Mexican I, laundry I, 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 soap. Mexican laundry soap. It really does. It's better for trot lining, I think. And we'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, rod and reel fishing, if you use worms, liver comes off the hook real easy. Um, you got to find a good hardy bait. I think gizzards work pretty well because they stay on the hook pretty good. You can't have something that the catfish can just come, like, pull off the hook real easy because they will. So you want something a little fibrous. Something a little fibrous, a little muscly. Oh, yeah, like a gizzard. Mm. Gizzard would do well. Uh, every time I go riding real fishing for catfish outside of pond fishing, I always seem to catch the little turd tappers, as uh, <laughs> as the country folks say. The the really small catfish that you they're they're too small to even hole fry. So, like I said, if I go riding real fishing, man, I'm out there for the cold drinks, and that's about it. Stress oh yeah. Relief. Uh, probably the most popular method of, of ca- catching catfish is trot lining. Uh, just like the good old Hank Williams song, Country Boy Can't Survive. you got to know how to run a trot line if you're going to say you're a country boy. Uh, in Mississippi, the, the law is 20 hooks per person in the water at one time. Uh, you know, trot line, you could, you could put as little as 10, but most people put around 20 hooks on one line. They, they range in length, but... Think Mississippi law is 24 inches apart from each hook, and they have to be tied in such a way that they don't tangle. Uh, you've come trot lining with me a few times. We we have run a we have run a line between the two of us. It is yes. it's it's a fun experience. Um, where if people what people may not know about if they don't know exactly what trot line is, you basically well the way we do it is you find uh, a stretch of water where it's kind of calm maybe you got a little break by a bend or you know or something uh, you want to have a good sturdy anchor point to tie your to tie your trot line off with and then you want to take an anchor now i don't know if i can say what we use as an anchor i don't think it's bad but we'll say you could let's just say you might use a cinder block or something because you want to have something that's weighted and you're not going to be able to pull it up too easily. Um, but you're going you're gonna to start upriver and let your boat drift down and you want to put your trot line at an angle. And that's what a trot line is. Right, Aaron? Well, that, that is the method my kinfolk have taught me. Uh, and it does catch more fish. The only problem is sometimes those anchors you use, it's hard to get them back. Uh, they might the current might push them up under a log um, you know a, another method we've tried is tying a retrieval line onto our anchor whether it be uh, like we've used a sandbag before but if you tie a heavier rope onto that uh, anchor back up your trot line to where when you're running your line you can reach the anchor rope it's easier to pull those anchors back mm. up out of the water now 
the easier method for keeping all of your gear and not losing anything is to run it between two sturdy, uh, secure, whether it's a, a stump or a tree branch that's low hanging or a, a root that's protruding out of the river bank. If you can do that, you generally get your whole line back. Um, yeah. I want to talk about bait for trot lines. All right. Because I think I think this brings up a debate. I was talking with my dad about a week ago. We we're talking about trot lining. And do you want, do you want to give a background on your dad? Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, he's he's he is a wildlife biologist. He specializes in fisheries. Uh, he's he's worked easily fifteen or twenty years as a fisheries biologist, and he has a, a short history of uh being a law enforcement officer so we talk about trot lining from time to time and i swear to you it's every year we talk about bait (laughs) and uh i'm not even gonna lie to him you know like a lot of people in in the country use goldfish as bait and i think it's i think it's up for debate and i'm interested to hear what you what you think mike because it's it's about the best bait you can put on a hook for a, a catfish and they you know they come in different colors when you buy them you can get the all black ones some of them are that calico they're like a, a white a pearl white orange and black and they're beautiful uh, and then you get the old traditional goldfish and they work so well because they're they're tough I mean you, you hook them you hook them through the the eyes and they'll stay alive on a hook for like three or four days and they're you know they flash uh because of their color uh and catfish just love them man so and you can catch anything you put a, a, a goldfish on there you're gonna catch you can catch a blue cat a channel cat or a tabby cat you know you can use minnows and you can use that mexican laundry detergent i was talking about zote z-o-t-e and if you use zote you're only going to ch- catch blues and channels you're not going to catch tabbies they do not eat it for whatever reason um on minnows, you could catch tabby cats, blues, or channels, but um, those typically the minnows die. So here's the question. First of all, do you see anything unethical? Do, do I need to explain his argument first before I give you something? Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you about what, what your dad said about it. Okay, so goldfish are an invasive species. And just like I'm talking about, they make a great bait because they're resilient. If they get off of the hook and live, they can take over small water systems because they don't have a limit to how big they can grow. Mm. So they go in and they they have, they're they're a predator. You know they're small when you put them on the hook, but they can grow uh, to limitless sizes. Basically, he says that you shouldn't use an invasive species as a bait, and and he told me at the time he was like, Aaron, it's illegal. And so I went and I did research. I pulled up everything I can on Mississippi's website, and I can't find anything that explicitly says goldfish or invasive species are illegal to use as bait. I'm sure. I'm sure certain t- like like snakehead, for example. I'm sure you can't use snakehead as as bait that right. you would want to. But so my question is: Is there anything? If it's not illegal, because I can't find anything. If, we'll just assume that it's illegal. If it's illegal, and we find that out later, if one of our listeners can send us a, a, a great, uh, I don't know, snapshot, screenshot of, of written law or regulation, and I, I will say it's unethical because it's illegal. But if it's not illegal, 
do you think that using goldfish is unethical or is a bad method for, for a conservationist? Well, and I'm just going to say this, Southern Lodge 1, <clears throat> that's the number one at gmail.com if you want to answer Aaron's questions. But I don't, if it's not illegal, I think you should go ahead and do it. Because like you mentioned, it's probably one of the best baits there is. Um, and just the fact that you, you blind the fish. So even if it does get off the hook, what's it going to predatorize? It can't see. But I don't have, I don't have a problem with it. I, I can see not in, not where we do our fishing because it's a very fast flowing river. It's not, it's not a small channel or creek or anything where, like you were saying, a goldfish could get loose and just get as big as it wanted. But I also think where we are, if there was a 30-pound goldfish, it would be hunted with extreme prejudice because someone would want to mount it and say they have a 30-pound goldfish on their wall. So, uh, since it's not illegal... You're saying you need to see the research. Well, that, that too, but I mean, I just... Yeah, I just don't see that. I I get. I hear what you're saying about being invasive and can grow as you know, as big as it wants, but I just don't think the way most people fish with goldfish that they will survive for long being off the hook. That's what I'm saying. And you know what got me uh, is like so many bait shops around the river sell goldfish, right? And you'd think that you'd think that they'd be required. To put up a notification that using goldfish for bait is illegal like they sh they'd still be able to sell it because it's just fish like they're it's how you use it that would be considered illegal or unethical but i i wouldn't think that that many places would just be able to sell it without it being common knowledge that yeah they're illegal but they're really good bait right i mean that's none that them, goes back to the whole you know uh co-ops and heck even walmart and academy sell corn during deer season when in a feeder you know deer season uh it's been illegal to use feeders in mississippi during deer hunting for however long until recently but every year academy would have feeders and corn pop up around hunting season so that, i think that's kind of what you're saying with the goldfish uh people are supplying them and if it was illegal then it's just how you use them, you know. They're they're providing a um, it's not a service, but th they're just providing you a good, and it's how you use it, depending uh, if you use it in an illegal way or not. So, yeah. Well, I, you make a good point about the feeders. Again, I say that even with the feeders being sold in Walmart and the corn being sold at Walmart. It was still common knowledge that it was illegal to use it. You can you can go around and talk to people who trot line, who sell the goldfish, and and they don't even know they've never heard of it being illegal. So, I I don't doubt what my dad is saying that it's it's probably bad on some level, uh, but out there in the main river with the the man, there's ninety hundred pound catfish in that river in some places. Right goldfish goldfish at some point are going to get eaten by something else whether it's an alligator uh, a gar uh, or uh, yeah a catfish a shark 
Possibly. Hey, they say they say uh, bull sharks are very freshwater tolerant. They they can, can make they it. um they spawn in freshwater. Wow. It's where it's where they have their young. That's crazy. So that's probably what was rubbing against your leg last weekend at the river. Probably. Mm. <laughs> a uh, fish magnet this past weekend. Should have should have put a net around you, man. We'd have limited yeah. out. All right. So, so what's uh, uh, what's another method you want to talk about before I we do get to talk your about before we get to your noodling and the problems I have with that? Okay, noodling is coming up, man. Uh, real quick, real quick, we'll talk about hoop nets. Uh, I have a desire. I have a desire to try all of these actually, but hoop nets I've done for research purposes while I was working for Mississippi State, and I really enjoyed hoop nets. They were not very difficult to put out. They were easy to retrieve, and, man, they caught a lot of fish. Now, there's not regulations on research nets, but on recreation or commercial fishing, uh, there are restrictions about hoop size and minimum mesh size, and that's, that's important because... With hoop nets, you place them in a, pla- in, a in an area with current, and they you, you hook them onto something sturdy. You drop them into the water, and the current pulls them back and stretches them out. When it stretches out, if you have small mesh size, it starts catching leaves and debris from the river, and it creates this like dead spot in the current, like a hollow log or something, and fish love it. So they'll swim up in there and get caught. You know, there's like these little traps uh, that these little throats built into the nets. So they'll swim in there through a throat, and they won't be able to get back out. Uh, now, with recreational hoop nets, the mesh size is like minimum three-inch squares. Uh, so with some strategy, I'm sure you could still be really effective uh, <laughs> and successful. But you'd have to put them down. You'd have to put them down current from you know, a tree with like a sweet gum or something with some really big leaves or like a sycamore that's dropping those big leaves into the water right. and uh, is going to catch on that mesh size. Uh, hoop nets, you can bait them, but you don't have to. Really, I think what the the uh, attractant is of the hoop net is catching those leaves, slowing down the current, and creating a spot of curiosity for the catfish. So let's it's talk also, about jugging, though. It's also a rest spot. When you get an area of low current, it's... A place where a fish doesn't have to swim as hard and can get a little rest in. You know, and I should say this about hoop nets. They're tricky. You have to check them often, uh, at least twice, maybe three times a day, every 24 hours, because you can get turtles in them, and you don't want to pull up a net with some kind of endangered species of uh, turtle. And, and besides that, a dead turtle smells really bad. So you don't want to you don't want to pull up a hoop net like that. Uh, let's talk about jugging, Mike, because you right. you've done it. I have. I'm dying to jug. Uh, There's not know. much to it. So, trot lining. Let's talk about a big difference here, because trot lining and limb lining are kind of like investments. You go out and you do all this work. You set the lines. You bait them, and then you go off and do other things. Like it's a lot of work on the front end, but it also produces a lot of fish. If you set if you set your uh, lines in a good spot, yeah, desirable place, good spots, yeah. Uh, 
Jugging, though, is a very active type of fishing. So trot lining is kind of passive. You go set it out and you leave. You come back. The fish is already caught. You just have to pull it off the hook. Jugging is this process where you take two-liter bottles or old bleach jugs or uh, milk jugs, oil milk jugs, oil jugs, you know, anything, just a big plastic thing that's going to work as a bobber. It's going to function as a bobber. Uh, you tie your tarred, um, your tarred twine, your tarred line onto that with a hook and bait, and you basically put out like 15 or 20 at one time. You float right next to them down the river, or you put them out at various spots in a lake or uh, maybe even a pond, and you just wait for them to go off. When they go off, you go over to them and you pull it up. Is there anything I'm missing on jugging? I've never been, but I know what it is. No, that, that's basically it. Uh, it works a little bit better in calmer water because um, if you do it on a bigger river where it's got a little current and you're trying to keep them all active, you, you could snag or a current could take one in, and if you try to retrieve that, you lose your other ones. So it, it's a little bit better for uh little bayous or little runoffs or ponds or lakes or whatnot or a slow moving river it's not really good for if you got a lot of water moving at a decent pace because like i said they'll you'll end up losing jugs on the side of the river or they'll just get away from you as you're trying to tend to one of them so that's the only thing i could i would add to that so let me ask you this because like the pascagoula is our local river and Mm. It's kind of, relatively, it's a flashy river. I mean, it, it, can, it can rise several feet and fall several feet within two weeks. So, uh, that being said, it's got a variety of current speeds, which I'm sure there is a uh, high... I wonder what the term is for that. I should know. But it, how fast the current is actually flowing. Think about that one night we went out trying to frog gig. And the river was at like twenty feet. Uh, it had a good. It, it had a good flow rate. Stage. Had a good flow rate. <laughs> yes, it was not safe for us to be out that <laughs> night. So we came right back in. We saw this like thirty foot, forty foot log go swiftly past the boat, and you know it's pitch black out there. We we're like, all right, this is stupid. We need to get off the river. So we did. But then there's days like uh, last weekend. We went and hung out on the sandbar, rode the jet ski. It wasn't really that bad, relatively. Right. So. Can my question is, can we find spots on the Pascagoula to jug? And I'm talking about on the main river. I'm not talking about going off on some of these backwaters. Yes. And I think I think to do it on the river, just as a safety net, you you might want to have a two boat system. Like one person out actually in the flat boat and maybe one and another boat or on the the jet ski or something but yeah there are stretches of the pascula where it's straight enough or where it's wide enough where the current does slow down a little bit you know you can't you know, like you said you can't do it after flood stage but the way it was this past weekend we we probably could have got out there and, and done some done some jug fishing so what do we need to look for when we're selecting a stretch of river to to jug because what you would do is go up upstream of where you actually want to fish you'd get all your lines prepped and your hooks baited 
and then you start slowly putting, or not slowly, you actually try to bait them as fast as you can and put them over the side of the boat right. and let them drift down into the target fishing zone. So what do we need to look for when we're picking that target fishing zone? Well, being in a river with with the flow, you want to look for an area that's kind of clear of deadfalls and catch points because, you know, in a pond, in an area where you don't have flow, it, even if there's a uh, some debris down below, it's not going to matter because it won't get th- uh, f- flowed into it. But on the river, you're going to have stumps up. You're going to have dead trees from the years before that have all started to pile up. And, you know, catching catfish, you kind of need to be their bottom feeder. So you need to be as close to the bottom of the river as you can, which just ups your chance of the river pulling your jug uh, set up into a deadfall or a snag and catching. Of course, if that happens, then that's where you got to tend to your jug and you got to wrestle with it while you're doing that. Your other jugs are steadily floating down. So while you're trying to rescue a jug, you could have a fish on, and by the time you get to that, it could be gone. So you want to look to a part of the river where you kind of know what your depth is and also that it's clear of major obstructions. So that, I think that's what you need to look for. All right. So that's on our to-do list for the summer. I'm just saying I'm off July 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. So I've got five days in a row that I'm off, and I intend to catch a lot of catfish during those days. So go ahead and start saying, hey, that, that jug you're drinking that uh, crystal light out of, you make sure and save that for me, buddy. I will, but I'm, I'm a reuser. I'm environmentally conscious. I just refill the same jug, so. <laughs> okay, well, tell your friends. <laughs> uh, all right, so the next uh, next method is hand grabbing, and uh, maybe we need to let, uh, I'm sure people know what this is, if they're listening to this show, but we'll talk about it anyway. Uh, hand grabbing, noodling, grappling is uh, a process to where you, you don't, Sometimes you can just go to spots where you know there's uh, a hole in the, the riverbank or uh, maybe it's, it's even in the bottom of the, the pond or lake. There's these underwater, I, I, they're not big enough to be a, a cave, but they're cavities, you know. And uh, basically you feel around with your foot. If you feel the catfish in there, then you go underwater with some gloves, maybe sleeves on because catfish have that like velcro type of teeth that'll they don't you don't really notice it until you're done but they can they can cut you up pretty good uh anyway you stick your foot in there you feel the catfish you go down with your hands and you pull the catfish out and uh this is a very active type of fishing uh more so active than jugging because you're actually meeting the catfish in the water and you're saying you coming with me and it, it is scary. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to let Michael talk about what the fears are with that because I, I understand what the fears are. I just don't know that they're as justifiable as they seem. Oh, okay. Um, you want me to talk about the most redneck fishing activity there is? Okay. Well, like Aaron mentioned, you feel around most of the time catfish don't live in pool clean water. They live in brown, disgusting dirty water so you can't see anything which is why you have to feel around with your feet you know what else lives in holes in the river alligator snapping turtles water moccasins swim all the time around these areas 
What can those things do? I don't know. Maybe take your big toe off. Maybe bite you. Send you to the hospital. I have no desire to randomly feel around the edge of the river bank and try to find a hole so a catfish can bite my foot and so I know he's in there. Not to mention the snapping turtles, the alligator gar, the water moccasins. You also have the chance that if you don't know what you're doing and the water's a little too deep, you could grab a hold of that, or my bad, that catfish could grab a hold of you and you not be able to get out and you drowned. That sounds like a great time to me. Um, also, too, on a lot of man-made lakes where they do some of their noodling uh, around the southeast in Texas and Oklahoma, they when they make these man-made lakes, they have to make homes for fish. And what that generally is is they take a bunch of concrete from demolition sites and they dump it in the river and it creates an artificial reef. So concrete has rebar in it and a lot of these are from buildings or road deconstruction and they don't put small rebar into concrete they put stuff that's about an inch in diameter if you're wondering what that is look at your thumb and then imagine slipping on that and it going through your calf and that's what can happen when you're noodling and you slip on some slippery concrete and that just that six inch shaft or rebar just goes into your calf that that's what that is so Aaron Aaron wants to noodle he can count Mike out of it okay so look I I hear your concerns but a lot of those sound like they sound like randomly wandering in wild parts of the river going in blindly I would you not noodle if you were on a lake where they've got uh, one of those, it's like a barrel that's set up for noodling, and it's got it's cut in such a way that only a catfish is going to go in there. If, if a snapping turtle goes in, it's not going to be a very big one. So <laughs> you go in there, you, you you go to the lake, first of all. They have these buoys out, and you use your hand, follow the rope from the buoy down to the barrel. When you get down to the barrel, you stick your foot in. If there's a cat, it, and it's almost, I mean, I'm, it's got to be in the 90 percentile, uh, 90th percentile of how often you put it in, and it's a catfish and nothing else. So if you did that, if, if what if you went, what, I'm at, what if you went and somebody went and checked the trap for you and said, there's definitely a catfish in there, and all you have to do is swim down the rope, stick your hands in and pull the catfish and, and bring it up to the surface. You wouldn't do that? That sounds like uh, yuppie noodling to me, and uh, I don't I don't know if if that counts as noodling. Then if you got if you have a noodle guide that just goes would out there, or not? I probably would just to say I have, but I wouldn't like it. I bet it is every bit of a rush as riding a roller coaster, shooting maybe not shooting your first buck. But shooting a shooting a good buck, no, uh, maybe shooting no. a turkey. I, it's gotta be, man. It's gotta be, cause there you're still underwater. You're still you're still fighting nature, and there's that slight risk of danger. I I don't know, man. It, I well then I let's really just go ride bulls. Let's just go ride bulls then. If we if we're gonna fight nature, a bull can kill you for sure, for a, sure. Like a catfish I, can high too. High chance. Oh my gosh. 
if I die from a catfish, it's just my time to go. <laughs> if I die from a bull ride, people are like, yeah, he was an idiot. That was, that was a for sure thing that he was going to die. Yeah. Man, I told you about trying to ride a horse up here. Quarter horse bucked me off twice. I ain't been on one since. That's because they can, they can sense fear. They can sense the fear. Yeah, well, I wasn't scared the first time, but the second time I got on there, I was scared. Okay, right, so, so, that's, so you want to go, problem. yeah, you want to go yuppie noodling. Okay, I might be down. I don't know. We'll see. Definitely ain't doing I, it on no river. I, the second I find somebody who is very experienced at it and still has ten fingers and ten toes, I'm going to give you a call, okay? <laughs> Sounds like a deal. So the last, the last method of uh, catching catfish that is quite popular and this is more for quantity, and it's really not that hard. So the, the effort is low. Uh, in it's, use, it's a method called slat boxes. Uh, these are rectangular prisms, I believe, uh, about 12 inches by 12 inches, maybe. Uh, and then the, there, so that's how big the square is. The long part of the rectangular prism is... Can any bear, I don't know, maybe 24 to 36 inches? And on one end of that box, there's a plastic throat that the catfish swim into, uh, and they can't get back out. And uh, pretty popular for slat boxes is to bait them with cheese. And it's a very special type of cheese. The stinkier, the better. Uh, I, was, I was just curious because you could use the same cheese in hoop nets, uh, you could probably tie it on your trot line to attract the fish to it. Uh, but Memphis Net and Twine sells it cheese trimmings, and it's $26 for a five-gallon bucket. Mmm, that Just sounds lovely. Which actually, yeah, not trying to throw out an advertisement, but that is a good place to look for uh, anything catfish-related. Uh, actually, if you find any place that says Net and Twine, you're going to find a lot of things that you need for trot lining. Uh, Walmart and Academy sell the, they'll quote unquote call it trot line, but it's not tarred and you really need the tarred line because it holds up really well uh, in water and over time. Okay. Mike, that was my catfish talk, man. I think we got really in depth on that and we, I think we educated some people on some things. I liked it. What, what do you have for me next? had to take another sip of Southern Lodge sweet tea to get ready for this next talk because I'm excited about this as well. Uh, Mike, it's frog gigging time, man. It's frog gigging time. And the Pascagoula River, it's a challenging place to frog gig. Uh, it's quite popular to frog gig on the Pascagoula River, so, it, you know, you really got to work for them. Um, but Lord have mercy, it's a pile of fun. So... I don't know. You're doing a really good job at explaining to people what each of these <laughs> things is. Why don't you give them a rundown of what frog gigging actually is? Like, there's there's different ways to do it, but what is the required equipment and, okay. and method? Okay, so the required equipment is some kind of aquatic device. Most people use a boat, a flat boat, flat river boat. And you could do it by yourself. It's more fun to do with a team or, you know, two guys. You need at least two guys to make it fun. One guy sits in the back, operates the motor or paddles, just depending on how much oomph you want behind you. And then there's a guy in the front of the boat that holds a gig, which 
is what you poke the froggy with. So your spot, you you have a spotlight. You need a spotlight. You need a boat. You need two men or two people. We don't discriminate at the lodge. But so you both have your spotlights out. You both you scan in that riverbank. You're looking for eyeballs. The eyeballs do a little shining, same as an alligator. Um, but you're just looking for that eye to shine. As soon as you do, you can either hold them on it, but if you hold them too long, it'll spook them. So you kind of got to judge your time in a little bit. And when you spot them, you give a signal. And the signal is, hey, man, frog over there. And you, you shine so the other guy can see it. And then he revs up that motor, and you get a little speed behind you. And then you don't have to carry, you don't have to carry the motor the whole way, but you get your little speed up, get on the front of the boat, if he's really good, he can hold a spotlight and a gig at the same time, and he he can he can hold both of them and, and get that frog while he's shining. But most time, you need the guy in the back to help you with your spotlight a little bit. That's why three people can come in handy. But that's generally what it is. Uh, you just got some you got some people out in the boat. You shining a light, looking for frogs' eyes, and then you get up on them and you stick them before they can hop away. Now, if you're like me and you go with somebody, they're going to put you into the trees. Things are going to fall out the trees. I'm going to tell you a little funny story about the first time Aaron took me frog gigging. We pull up. We're going after this frog. And I, I, I'm going to be honest. I missed him because Aaron was going too slow. And I hear this splash next to me in the water. I, I look back at Aaron and I said, what was that? He goes, oh, I was just water moxing. Literally fell four inches from falling in the boat. Out of a tree that was above my head. So I'm just putting a warning out there. If you go frog gigging, there's a chance you could have water moccasin fall on top of your head. Yeah, man. that Dude, that water moccasin was just hanging out. He was just relaxing. And there you come, all up in his world, ruining his nap. He was he was actually probably checking out that frog. That was probably his frog. He I would have gone, gone swimming that night if he would have fallen in the boat. Well, that brings up a point. I, I made a note here that I do recommend bringing a pistol with snake shot just in case. Because snake shot's not going to punch a hole in the boat. It'll kill the snake. It may it may ricochet off the boat and hit you in the leg and hurt like hell, but it's not going to pierce your skin and make you bleed. So I do recommend a pistol with snake shot. I bring my twenty two uh, every time we go frog gaming. Haven't had to use it yet. But I guarantee you that the time I don't bring, it'll be the time we need it. Back to the spotlight thing. Have you been with me when we've used the headlight? No. The high-powered headlight? No. Oh, man, that thing that thing is a dream. Matt, it, you wear it on, like, a ball cap or something. It's pretty heavy and uncomfortable, but it's super bright and uh, hands-free. So I'd like to get one of those. I uh, might put that on my Christmas list. From uh, Santa Claus, give me a it's headlight. Like, like one of those minor headlamps or something, huh? Like what a miner would wear yeah. down into the dark. I don't think it can be LED. I think it's going to have to be incandescent or whatever the other type of light is that uh, most Q beam um, spotlight type lights are made of. I, I'm not sure. I've never tried to frog gig with an LED light. I'm not sure if their eyes glow the same. Uh, I, I, I've never done it either, but in general, I, I, I like uh, incandescent better. Just from deer hunting, it seems 
that the LED just doesn't, it puts out light so you can see, but the finer details, you, you don't get them as well with the LED light. You can't track a blood yeah. trail as well with LED as you can incandescent. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there with the methods, though. Some people don't like to use a gig, man. Some people just like to go out there and grab them with their hands. Well, you know, in some states, it's illegal to use a gig. You have to use your hand. So, I want to say, uh, my dad said that when they when they were younger in Louisiana, it was illegal to use a gig. They had to go with use their hands. Well, you know, a benefit of hand grabbing, like if you go out and like some nights you and I have been and got rained out or we we just just fogged out basically yeah yeah, and we only we only got like five or six frogs and that's not really enough to clean if you gig them they're still they still have a great chance to live because frogs are just super resilient creatures however if you hand grab them they're definitely going to live so you you can catch six seven and say yeah we're going to let them go so we ain't got to clean them if you gig them you got to deal with the ethical debate of do we do we throw these things back and hope they live or uh, do we got to take them back and clean them and you know make a mess over seven frogs or if you don't catch enough to skin do you just go ahead and say hey i got my bait from my catfish jug in her trot line right there i yeah that's a good idea because frog meat's tough enough that it might would hang on there you might end up catching more like gar or small alligators and snapping turtles turtles you might catch more stuff like that with that kind of bait but it's worth trying the last thing did you mention trolling motors i, th- I think a trolling motor is like super handy when you're frog gigging is they're quiet i don't think I'm, i think i just mentioned gas. having a motor i didn't mention what what was exactly behind you the only downside to a trolling motor is you'd probably have to have a totally second battery just to run the trolling motor because you're not going to run the, the big boat motor that often now if you've got like a four-stroke boat motor that's super quiet and it's just gonna sip on the gas then that that's probably fine too but uh trolling motors super quiet you can sneak right up on a frog and right. that bright light like michael said you get about you get about a 10 second window when you hit them in the eyes with that to spear them Mike, that it, was a good frog gigging talk. That was that was a skinny little talk, you know. It it was got, got and fired up. And you know, frog gigging is kind of like duck hunting. It's one of those where you you're gonna get some action. You don't have to be quiet. You don't have to sit still. It's just you and some friends in a boat traveling down the river. Normally, there's an adult beverage around, um, and you're just having a good time. You get to talk. You get to joke. Um, you just you get to have fun. It's not one of those you got to be real quiet or else you're going to scare all the little froggies away. So it, it's it's a good time just in general. Even if you don't see nothing, you're at least out on the water with your buds. Yeah, you might have a topic or two as well, right? Yeah, you might you might have a topic. And for people that don't know, that is a coffee-flavored uh, cigar that the Southern Lodge boys really endorse. It's a, it's a smooth-drawing cigar with... It's a sweet coffee aftertaste. It's it's what we enjoy at the lodge. When, when normally, uh, when when there's time for some Southern Lodge sweet tea, there's also time for a Southern Lodge cigar. So, but um, I think we've covered. Boy, if we could pick up some if sponsorships. We could pick up an endorsement oh. from uh, Drew Estate, man, and all they get if they just gave us a box of topics 
every three months. It would I be worth I'd it. Be, it would be worth it. it. Would. would we even take other sponsors at that point? Maybe some kind of whiskey or scotch. We could just be we could be sponsored by scotch and cigars. I I think it's a Damn. match made in heaven. I could I I I'd, I'd open my mind to saying Drew Estates, the Southern Lodge. You know, we could put it in the name. It wouldn't bother me at all. Um, so on the last episode, because I think we pretty much covered our catfish and frog gigging, and y'all all need to go out and try these different methods and go have some fun with you boys or you girls. Like I said, we don't discriminate. It's just the pronoun I like to use. But we're an uh, equal opportunity hunting organization. That's right. I go hunting with my mother all the time. But on the last episode, uh, it was just me and Danny. And we, because of the movie list idea, we we decided on our episodes, we're going to start trying to do a list. It may not be as involved as the 10 name or 5 name movie list that we did. But on the last episode, we named our, the three best baseball players to each of us in our lifetimes. And because Aaron wasn't here, I'm just going to recap. And Danny's was John Smoltz, Derek Jeter, and Chipper Jones. And that's going three to one. And for myself, it was Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, and Ken Griffey Jr. So tonight, Aaron is going to give us his top three. And then I will ask him the question that Danny asked me. Okay, so first you need to know that my top three, similar to y'all's top threes, not really quoting data at all, statistics. We're just talking about cool baseball players. And actually, you just said something of our lifetime, and I I just realized that one of mine is not. Originally, I had said uh, top three outside of Babe Ruth, and then... Uh, when I made the list, I totally forgot the rules because I know we said in our lifetime. Well, Danny and I talked about that, and we, we all figured that everybody would have Ted Williams and Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and Jackie Robinson and you know Joe DiMaggio. Everybody would have basically the same. You know, There's the all-time greats that are on Mount Rushmore that you'll never get away from. That's why we put it on. You know, We said our lifetime. So, Well, dadgummit. My list is a copycat list then, because the only one I have different from y'all is Jackie Robinson, and and you know I chose the movie uh, his 42 in my movie list. The man he just he's a pioneer. He blazed a new trail. He had bravery like anybody else, unlike anybody else. And you know what I said in that episode, Mike? It was an error. I said he faced a lot of diversity. I meant to say adversity. adversity. And yeah, because he didn't he didn't face a lot of uh, uh, diversity. It was pretty much all white dudes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I sound like an idiot, man. And I'm I'm a freaking English major. Uh, English uh, you're major. you're also the principal that molds young people's minds. Uh, you are in charge of young kids' souls and vocabulary acquisition. Anyway, so Jackie Robinson's my number one. Number two, Whoa. Ken Griffey Jr. Who starts a list at number one? You work down to number one. I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm breaking the trend here. Jackie Robinson, number one. Ken Griffey, what cooler baseball player is there than Ken Griffey? I mean, when I was out there playing Little League, 
I wanted to be Ken Griffey. And Junior. Now, did, he play, did, did he play for the Mariners? He played for the Mariners and the Cincinnati Reds. But his, uh, his great years were with the Mariners, yeah. He was in Little Big League. Not, yeah, Little Big League. Him and Randy Johnson were both in Little Big League. And uh, number three on the list is John Smoltz. Man, the pitcher that when he took the mound, you know it was about to go down. Confidence. He played until he was like an old man, too. How old was he when he retired? Uh, pretty old. Um, and Danny actually told me something. I didn't realize he was the first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, but Danny, Danny looked it up and corrected me because um, he's the only person to ever have 150 wins and 150 saves. And just a little tidbit information on John Smoltz. I just read that he actually qualified for the senior U.S. Open. So apparently they say pitchers are good at golf because they only work one day a week. So, Man. Okay, well, so. Who did – did we exclude people off this list because of affiliation with performance-enhancing drugs? Danny kept joking with me that he was going to have Barry Bonds at number one, and I told him I was going to call him an idiot if he did, and Danny gives the standard excuse. But he was so much good be before that. I was like, yes, but you don't hit 70 home runs when you're like 38, and your head normally doesn't double in size. So... If he would have included anybody from the steroid era, like Roger Clemens or Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire, we did touch on Sammy Sosa, but that was just because of his skin color change. But no, none of us included the PED people, of course. And that was one of the reasons I chose King Griffey so high is because he put up the numbers he did, and you could tell he wasn't on enhancers because of the way his body broke down as he got older if i mean if he would have been on drugs he probably would have hit 800 home runs so yeah but i'm gonna well, ask you real quick who because me and danny discussed this who do you think is the greatest baseball player of all time uh i'm not an avid baseball fan um, watching a lot of Mississippi State baseball right now because they just won the regional. Uh, took down Oklahoma two games in a row. Took them to school, man. Took them to school. Started hitting home runs like it was nothing. Uh, so I'm watching a lot of Mississippi State baseball. And if it's live, I'll watch anybody just because the experience, the atmosphere of being in a ballpark, eating sunflower seeds, drinking a cold brew. Uh, now, that being said... I'm going to go with the generic answer of Babe Ruth, man. He was just—he was the great Bambino, the first one to, I guess, make a mark as a bohemoth in the sport of baseball. Right. And I would think I would uh, – Danny went with Ted Williams, and I went with King Griffey Jr. And I think if you were to say the most iconic player, you would have to go with Babe Ruth. But uh, – I chose King Griffey, but a, a player I left off my list that was probably at number four was probably Manny Ramirez. I always enjoyed watching him with the Indians and then with Boston. But So we have Aaron's list of Jackie Robinson, King Griffey Jr., and John Smoltz. Not a bad list, but I think that's going to do it from the Lodge on this episode. So 
we'll see y'all next time. Don't forget, you can check out our email, southernlodge1 at gmail.com. That's the number one, not the word. And uh, we hope to hear from comments or questions. So we'll see y'all next time at the Lodge.